Good morning. Today's reading is Jeremiah 33, verses 14 through 16. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at the time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Good to be here. Um, it's good to be here with you this morning. Sorry, this just popped off. I wear suspenders because I'm a big guy and I want things to stay, but then you have suspenders that don't hold, and it's like, what did I do? Why don't I just wear a belt? Anyway, so I'm happy to be here with you this morning, and I'd like to thank your leadership for inviting me. I thank your pastor for his friendship and prayers, and uh, it just... It's really a good thing to be here this morning, and I want to say the thing that I always enjoy when I come here is the fact that just you people from the congregation participate in publicly reading the scriptures. It always strikes me as a powerful moment whenever I come here. You don't see that in many churches, and it's, it's nice because it gives the impression that this is your church, that you are a people here called to participate, and... Uh, It's really a joy to see that. This morning, I hope to bring you some encouraging words. But I ask for just a little bit of patience. This passage has sort of struck me in a personal way. And I've thought long and hard about what I could say to you this morning from this passage. And there's so much. And Let me open with a scene from a desperate situation. On April 16, 1963, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. sat in a prison cell. By this point, he had given nine long years to fighting racial injustice, to struggling for equality, that black people and white people can gather in the same churches like here this morning and worship together, that black people and white people could ride the same buses, go to the same schools. And after nine long years while he sat in that prison cell, the white southern churches were still held captive to the false doctrine of white supremacy. And while sitting in that jail cell, pondering his difficult situation with rats and roaches, he penned words of indictment against the church. He argued that the church had grown cold through several hundred years of compromise with a demonic system, the demonic system of white supremacy. He wrote, The contemporary church is often a weak, 
ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. It is so often the arch supporter of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structures of the average community are consoled by the church. By the church's silence and often vocal sanction of things as they are. But the judgment of God is upon the church as never before. If the church of today does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authentic ring. It will forfeit the loyalty of millions and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. I am meeting young people every day whose disappointment with the church has risen to outright disgust. When we hear such harsh words about the state of the church in that time, it's hard to wonder about the state of the church in this time. But as we hear these words, there's a tendency to think that somehow these words are the words of a pessimist, of one who had given up hope. But I'm here this morning to tell you that that's not the case. Hope was the energy that drove Dr. King to challenge what he saw as a deep contradiction in American Christianity. The false idea that you could somehow believe the gospel and fail to live justly in society, fail to live your black neighbors. And we can see contradictions in our own times today, contradictions within Christianity and outside of Christianity. Things that contradict what God has promised. You see, when we hear these words of Dr. King, it actually puts us in the right perspective to hear the word of hope that we have in our text this morning. You see, the first thing I want to tell you is that God calls us to hope in desperate situations. He calls us to put off the temptation to despair. He calls us to oppose the feelings of defeat. And that's what we find in this passage. This passage comes to us right before the fall of Jerusalem in 587 BC. Babylon's armies are surrounding the city just outside the walls. And in chapter 22, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah while sitting in a prison cell. He had been placed in that prison cell by order of the king because he had preached some things that were a little unpopular. He had had some harsh words of indictment against the Israelites' worship. He had displayed God's utter disgust with the idolatry of the people. I don't know why it's doing that. Maybe this will help toss this off. Okay. Whew. Before I even get going, I got to adjust this stuff. So where were we? So he is sitting in prison because he was preaching harsh words against the failures of their worship and the compromises that they had made. 
And Jeremiah had brought this to attention to the king, and he had found himself in prison. And it seemed at this time that everything depended upon a political situation, a confrontation between two kings, King Zedekiah, king of Judah, and Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And the outcome that God had promised was sure. He told Jeremiah in chapter 22 the dark realities that the city would be destroyed, that the city would be filled with dead bodies, and that it was not simply Babylon that was doing this, but the Lord himself had brought this judgment upon the people. But God did not leave Jeremiah wallowing in pity and in despair. God had the audacity to speak a word of hope into the darkness of a Jerusalem prison cell to a prophet who had been locked up for this unpopular teaching. And the midst of this situation, we find God speaking one of the most powerful promises that we come across in Scripture. Let me read it again for you so you could hear it afresh. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. In our text this morning, the branch of David refers to the Messiah. And justice and righteousness is the reality that would characterize his rule. You see, what we have in this passage is not a word of fear of judgment coming upon us, but a word of hope. God's justice here means something closer to what we might use in English as rectification. It's a reference to God healing the world, renewing all things, restoring things to what they ought to be, to his intention and purpose. You see, the king... Jesus, that would come for them, that has come for us, is not the kind of king that shows favoritism to the rich and he doesn't crush the poor. He's not the kind of king that judges by social status. Jesus is the kind of king that receives everyone. And this is what the promise that we have here this morning. You see, sometimes it's hard for us to hope. But God has given us a word of hope in a desperate situation. And as you struggle to hope in a desperate situation, you and I, we need to be reminded of what God has promised and that God's hope is sure. And because of that, what's most important when we feel the pressures to doubt, when we feel the pressures toward despair, is to understand that God hasn't given us a hope of blind optimism, but he has given us a word of hope that is grounded in history, in things that God has actually accomplished. You see, God has given us reason to hope in desperate situations. Imagine Jeremiah's struggle to believe God's word as the stench of death lingered in his nostrils. 
But God gave him a word of hope of a brighter day. And this word of hope would sustain the Israelites in their long night of exile, giving them an identity and reminding them of a purpose. This word of hope would provide them with the power to resist and oppose idolatry that would mask itself as law and order. This word of hope would be a reminder to them in the midst of these ruling authorities over them that there was a coming king and his name we know is Jesus. And that this king would come and he would establish righteousness and justice in the land. That he would be for his people and that he would not allow these political tensions and things to dissuade us from the truth. That he would not allow these things to overtake us and overpower us. You see, this is the hope that sustained and empowered Israel. And it's the same hope that sustains and empowers us today. You see, we're here in the first week of Advent, and Advent is all about hope. Because here we know that we live between what is and what is to come. We live between the promise and we live before the fullness of the fulfillment. We feel the tensions and the pains and the struggles But we know that these things aren't forever. And this word of hope is not given to us to despair, but it's given to remind us of who God is, his mercy for us, his presence is with us. You see, they looked forward to this hope. But for us, we have something to look back to. We know that the Lord has come. We know that the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost has descended upon us. And he is here with us today. We know that we have been gathered together as God's people, the church. And as God's people, we have been strengthened and empowered to love one another. And to demonstrate a witness before the world that we live according to a different set of rules. That we live according to the guidance of another kingdom. That we live according to a power that they do not know. We live according to the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you hearing me this morning? Do you know that power of the Holy Spirit? Do you feel that Holy Spirit drawing you to hope? Do you feel that temptation to spare and do you oppose it because of what God has done? You see, just as Jeremiah had to witness the death and exile of his people, and the disciples had to witness the death of their Messiah, we too must bear the cross of contemporary injustice. We too must feel the weight of agony and pain. We too must feel the pressures of our society pressing in upon us, the powers that be, demonic forces at work. You see, with God, crosses always come before resurrections. To the ancient world, Jesus' death looked like a typical Roman political tactic. Jesus' death looked like the demonstration of an imperial power designed to shame and crush any rebellion. It was a death that made no martyrs. It was a death that had no glory. It was a death that did not show the world anything that they already didn't know but shame and misery. It was a death that left only victims and families and friends in despair. 
Often when bodies were crucified, they would be left out there hangling, dangling in the winds because the people were too afraid to take it down. It would become food for vultures and rats. But with Jesus, things were different. Jesus' death, his apparent God-forsakenness was really a demonstration of God's love and power. Jesus' death was God declaring judgment on the powers of sin and death. God was saying that evil's last day is coming. God was saying, sin, your time is up. Death, it's your turn to die. God allowed sin, death, and the devil their hour. But oh, in that hour, God turned that dark Friday afternoon into the good, good Friday celebration that we all know and enjoy. Because we know that in the midst of that dark hour, God was working a different plan. Death tried to swallow up Jesus. But when Jesus experienced the fullness of death and went down into the pit, death couldn't hold him. It had to spit him out. Death spit that Jesus out and he rose again from the dead on that third day, bringing into a new world hope, a hope of a better day, of a brighter reality, a hope that we have begun to experience. Oh. And when Jesus ascended to that right hand of power, and let that Holy Spirit go out into the world and descend upon his people, you have been given something that the world does not know. That power of the Holy Spirit working in you is the very power that holds us together as a people, that keeps us falling captive to the powers of the age and false doctrines like white supremacy. The Holy Spirit is what keeps you faithful to the gospel. The Holy Spirit is what reminds you of love. The Holy Spirit is what creates compassion in your hearts. Oh, you know something about that Holy Spirit. Because I've been here on a Sunday morning and I have seen the Holy Spirit. I have seen that Spirit empower you in your lives. Oh, dear church, I feel today the powers this morning, the tensions of this, this present evil age. You see and this is what hope is. Hope isn't a word that allows us to accept reality as it is. Hope doesn't just help us to be comfortable with a society that is strayed from God and the gospel. Hope is a holy discontentment with the status quo. Hope doesn't judge the poor. It doesn't ignore children dying in the womb. Hope doesn't silence women who have experienced the brutality of sexual violence at the hands of men who thought that they could treat another human being as an object. Oh, hope doesn't accept the racist rhetoric from powerful men. Hope doesn't accept the hangover of Jim Crow segregation reflected in too many churches in our society. Hope doesn't say be patient and wait. Hope doesn't allow so-called ministers of the gospel to overpower and oppress their people and to call it spirituality. No, hope opposes these things. 
One Christian teacher put it this way, as long as hope does not change the thoughts and actions of men in the present, it is meaningless. That's not the kind of hope we have. We have a hope that has empowered us to resist and to protest. We have a hope that helps us to get involved. We have a hope that takes love seriously. We have a hope that sees people on the streets with compassion and love and asks questions about how we can get involved. We have a hope that sees those who are in despair and we come to their aid to help. We have a hope reflected in our diaconate ministry that thinks that mercy is not some side project but part of the main task of the church. We have a hope that remembers the fatherless and the widowed that leads us to visit them in times of need. We have a hope that prays for the sick. We have a hope that seeks to turn our enemies into friends. Or we have a hope that prays against the powers that be. We have a hope that drives us out into the world to live. We have a hope that doesn't leave us cowering about the culture and how bad and pessimist we should be about how things are. Or we have a hope that helps us to take those things seriously, but to oppose them, to resist them in the name of love, to understand them and to look at the realities of this world with compassion and love enough to oppose injustice wherever it shows its ugly face. You see, Dr. King put it this way. Jesus of Nazareth wrote no books. He owned no property to endow him with influence. He had no friends in the court of the powerful, but changed the course of mankind with only the poor and despised. You see, to the world, we are the poor and despised. And in reality, we can dress ourselves up but we are still just the poor and the despised. But God has drawn us who have been rejected by society into his people, and he has exalted everybody and given us a purpose as a church. And God is working through us, not simply to accept things as they are, but to play our part in living out in the world taking our calling seriously and knowing that our Lord Jesus is coming. Oh, he's coming. If you doubt that today, I want you to say it with me. Oh, Jesus is coming. Is Jesus coming? Jesus is coming. And when he comes back, I tell you this, he will renew the world. He will make this place better. We will be resurrected and raised from the dead and we will experience everlasting glory. That's what we have to look forward to. But while we're here, we have work to do. We have long days and hard nights ahead. And this is especially true in this time of year, in Advent, in the Christmas season. See, this is a time of year for us to seek reconciliation with people we've hurt, people who've hurt us. This is a time to pray for our enemies. This is our time to recognize people in need and to, to help them. This is our time to visit the sick, to remember those who have no one to care for them. And this is our time to deal with the sickness of indifference, the complacency of our American culture that affects us with a 
consumeristic society that tells us that things are more important than people. And I ask you this morning, will you hope this season? Will you believe this word of promise that we have in chapter uh, 33 of Jeremiah? Will you join me in protesting the realities that contradict God's promise of justice for the poor, oppressed, and hurting? I hope you will. I know you will because I know that that Holy Spirit in you will not let you be complacent. He will draw you to love and compassion. He will empower you to impose those areas of indifference within your own lives. And he will demonstrate the love and power of Jesus in you. May God bless your efforts in joining in this beautiful struggle with God in the world. We will triumph because God has already promised the victory and he has already demonstrated the first part of that victory through his cross and resurrection. And it's time for us to renew our hope and to embrace his call. Amen. Join me in a prayer. Lord God, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you hear our prayers. We thank you that you have turned that dark reality of crucifixion into something that we could boast and glory in. We thank you for your promises of a new day, and we thank you for the present power of the Holy Spirit to serve and love today. We ask that you would continue to strengthen us to love and serve, to, impose, to oppose injustice, and to address the indifference that lies within our own hearts. Lord God, we know that you hear us. And though we feel sometimes that we have been abandoned, that we have sort of fallen into God forsakenness, Lord God, remind us that in the midst of abandonment and forsakenness, the feelings of despair, you, through Jesus Christ, have entered into that situation on Calvary. In the midst of any darkness we find ourselves, we know that you are there. In the midst of any pain and struggle that we experience, we know that you are there. And Lord God, we ask that as we enter into that with you, that you would continue to give us hope in the day of resurrection. As we have identified with you in your death, we also identify with you in your resurrection, Lord Jesus. Oh, Father, you hear our words. And Holy Spirit, you know our hearts. We pray these things in the name of our beloved Son, Jesus Christ, who reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.